From the Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Discerning Marriage Podcast, hosted by Elizabeth Busby. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Discerning Marriage Podcast. I am here today. I'm your host, Elizabeth Busby, and I am pumped because I am here today with Damon and Melanie Owens. Hello, hello. Hi there. It's great to be here. Thank you. Y'all, if you have not heard of them, they are big names in the TOB community, and I am nerding out right now. (laughs) Tried to calm myself down with some pre-show chat. Didn't do it. I'm still really excited. So I'm so thrilled to share them with you all today. We are going to be talking about a topic that is so important, the courage to be married, Mm. which is so important in this day and age. I'm so excited to unpack this with you guys. So to begin, Damon and Melanie, would y'all please give me kind of a history, your history, really, with Theology of the Body, kind of a little bit about the ministry you're doing right now, but then also the role that Theology of the Body has played in your marriage. Yeah. First of all, we're super excited to be with you. When we yes. first saw the Discerning Marriage podcast coming out, we were like, that is exactly the space. And to be honest, I didn't get the audience that you just shared before the show here. And I'm even more excited. Um, mm-hmm. Nobody is reaching you know, that proximate, as you said, that folks who are discerning marriage yeah. uh, with or without a particular other. So uh, just be assured that Melanie and I are delighted uh, to be with you as well. Yo, but um, my TV journey really is, uh, it's, I'll, I'll get uh, 30 years down into a, you know, a few minutes here, but Melanie and I have been married with 28 years this, this year in April. Mm. And uh, we had a major conversion together that really has been the launch, both directional and zeal power uh, back in Berkeley when we met in graduate school, you know, in the 1990, 1989. And that really has launched our own marriage preparation. It launched us into natural family planning, into mm. uh, pre-cana work, into even caring about ministry, because we had such a powerful conversion to the faith that we both grew up with. So it was very much a reversion, but it was uh, as young adults, uh, you know, okay. 22, 23 years old through, you know, wild 80s college experiences, me on the East Coast, her on the West. And we oh, met in graduate wow. school, you know, wise, you know, bruised, broken but still in name Catholic, but not really knowing the Lord in any, any real way. Melanie probably more than me. So um, again, real quickly, we got married in 1993 and immediately went into marriage prep and NFP teaching. We were on, we were that, that young, vibrant couple telling our own story of that basically was uh, how we started a brand new chaste relationship. We took sex out of our, our relationship mm-hmm. after we had met and uh, really remained chaste for two and a half years. Until we were married in '93, and again, I thanks I, be to I, God. Tell, exactly. Yeah. No, I tell wow. the drama when I have more time and get into more detail about just what a God moment this was. This wasn't strengthening up and pulling our bootstraps and getting stronger. This was a really intervention of the Lord that we responded to. So my TV mm. journey really began more experiential. And I think for us it was very experiential, mm. and we searched for meaning with that through the church documents that before we were even introduced to TOB, uh, Humana Vitae. Uh, Familiaris Consortio. Uh, we got documents, fortunately, and I was not a scholar. I'm an engineer by training, so this was not <laughs> even theology. Oh yeah, yeah. So I'm it. looking for the I'm looking for the the principles. I'm looking for like yeah. the equivalent of the Marx <laughs> handbook, you know. In, 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 yes. in and uh, but in the meantime, we're having these great experiences with young couples and pre-cana, and it was so formative for us to be around other couples. You know, just a few months, few years behind us. So fast forward many pre-canas, children starting in 1996, natural family planning, teaching, really intimately involved with other couples. Uh, I sold my engineering company in 2002 
And in that discernment process of what to do next, Melanie was like, you know, you love this. Just, just, <laughs> just go give talks. Give it. And then mind you, this is 2002, where I didn't even know Christopher West, much less any lay person who was doing this full time. Sure. And in the subsequent years, from 2002 to 2005, Christopher and I became friends. Uh, Ascension Press, the Body Institute, uh, the Body itself right. was all in my universe. It was just a, a, a complete transformation. And since then, it's been just a great gift of years of teaching. Uh, as you know, executive director at the Body mm-hmm. Institute for five years. Mm-hmm. And um, now Joyful Ever After, where Melanie and I are really, as you, focusing on that practical reality of helping couples to live this theology of the body in a very experiential way. I love that. Do you have anything to add? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, the the experience piece, I think just, we're we're actually preparing for for something, and uh, Melanie was like, you know, you you do theology and the teaching, and let me just talk about how we build our families and and our relational. Melanie, uh, not unlike uh, uh, Wendy, is just this grounding force of taking these abstract truths and beauty of theology of the body. I can't, I can't think of any aspect of theology of the body that I've studied or taught that hasn't had a direct impact on um, our marriage, our relationship, and um, with our parenting as moms and dads. So Yeah, I think I've really been the, the support person for Damon. He did a lot of traveling and, you know, mm. he was, you know, discussing all these great things. So when he was home, it was really the application of everything mm. that he had been teaching and, um, you know, now that my kids, our kids are growing older and they're out of the house, I've been able to join him more as far as um, speaking and, um, awesome. you know, living out the other body and teaching it as well. I love but it. I will have- say this, over those years, I will say this, Elizabeth, you know, I come home and geek out like you, nerd out on T.O.B. <laughs> stuff. She was so gracious in those early Aww. years because she always wanted to know. That. She was always curious, always wanted to. But, you know, the idea of understanding the abstract while we're changing diapers and dealing with homeschooling. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Because y'all have eight children, yeah. right? You yes, are living my dream. Eight children, ages mm. 24 down to 10. So we eight have- children in 14 years. Yes. Yeah, so, yeah. Oh, thanks be to God. Seriously, yeah. my dream. you're living my dream. And so you we have a, a 10-year-old, 11-year-old, and a 14-year-old and a 17-year-old still at home. Okay. So half. You've yes, launched exactly. half of them. Yeah. Yes, and about to be grandparents soon. Yes. So. Congratulations. Yes. We're, getting oh. the, we're getting the upgrade. Oh my goodness. How thrilling. Yes. <laughs> Congratulations. Very excited. Wonderful. Okay. So obviously I hope that all of you listening now can understand why I'm so excited <laughs> to be talking to them. So let's dive into this topic, the courage to be married. Can you begin just by fleshing that idea out? Like why, why would you even like put courage and married together? Why would you have to even pair those two? Yeah. Thanks for asking that because the honest truth is this isn't even one of my, my two dozen talks or so that I usually <laughs> give. It was, a, it was a title that really popped when, when your invitation came because um, I think in, in the development of Joyful Ever After as a new ministry, in uh, some of the struggles that Melanie and I have had in our marriage you know, in the mm. last year in particular, that has mm. really been painful, but is bearing so much good fruit in a, in a very, um, what's the word, unexpected way. Like you don't expect such great fruit, even with your intellect of, of theology under so much pain. But the word courage came to me, I think, um, Benedict Rochelle had a book called The Courage to be Catholic, mm-hmm. and maybe that was influencing me somewhere, but just the courage to be married 
made itself plain to us this past uh, 12 or 13 months in this pandemic, because it was a time of not just rest and activity, but a time of for us to really start entering into deep areas of our, of our, um, our marriage, our individual hearts, our wounds, and to kind of break the cycle of years of just circular conflict and argument and wounding and mm. partial healing. So it was a very challenging year. And I, the word courage really came to me because I think that's what we each of us have to have. And if I had more of it, we had more of it earlier, we mm -hmm. would be able to not just address the negative, but really um, to order, order our marriage uh, in, an, in a practical way, an experiential way. So all the theory and the theology of being a child of God and being sacramental mm -hmm. in our marriage, of being a gift of self, of that reciprocal you know, receptivity and the gift, all those things that are so true and so beautiful, they have varying levels of penetration in our real marriage, to be, to be honest. And, um, and it's not for lack of want. I mean, we want it. It's not a lack of like, oh, I don't want that. I don't want, no, all this <laughs> stuff is beautiful. It's attractive. Right. But then when it comes down to the real, you know, am I really receiving Melanie for who she is? Am I really allowing myself to be seen? What are my fears? What are the things that are, that really just annoy me? What am I, you know, holding back because of fears I can't even name. I can't even put a name to. And if there's a theme that goes through all of that for, to persevere, I really think it is courage. It's the ability to stand strong in the face of adversity. Yeah, it's definitely um, courage to work through those wounds. Um, it's courage to um, go name, in, them. name them and go into those, you know, the deep areas that, mm. that, you know, if you don't want to go there, you don't have to go there, but they are there bubbling at the surface mm. and will, will continually um, repeat themselves. So definitely um, when you are married, you, it's definitely, you need courage to get through those hard moments. I mean, you can be busy with all kinds of things in your, in your life. I mean, kids and, and work. And I mean, there's all kinds of things, but really when, um, you know, this last year with the pandemic, you have to, at least we had to really go deep. We had time to really go deep into those wounds and, um, you know, and, and talk about them and, and cry about them and, you know, get angry with them. Um, and um, that's been a huge blessing. Yeah, and I, I want to be specific too about that going deep. I don't mean just having deep conversations. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about really, we had a counselor. We had yes. books that we were reading through and being accountable about, you know, really digging deep about some of the questions. You know, finish a lot of the books wasn't necessary, but it was about getting to certain things and getting a new vocabulary. It was about a quiet time that was usually awkward when there's something else to do, but a quiet time to really think and answer the questions in ways that aren't just trying to protect her or protect me, but to really speak things. And even in 28 years of marriage and 30 years of knowing each other, we haven't had the courage to say to mm -hmm. one another, or even the courage to name for myself. I'm thinking about, you know, wounds that I wouldn't, for time or for whatever sakes, I don't want to go there because, and there's plenty of things, as Melanie said, to keep going. So we were really there's accountability to each other, yes. accountability with, you know, in this case, a Catholic professional. And, um, and just the, the fruit from that really has, has it's, it's really blessed us as a reverence here. Yeah, I think, you know, Elizabeth, when, when couples have problems in their marriage and, you know, problems that, that continually come up over and over again, you know, usually the response is, well, you know, this isn't working out. We're not doing well. You know, we need to go our separate ways. Um, you or know, we're doing it wrong, like whatever that means. Yeah, or the, you know, the kids are gone now. I need to go satisfy myself with mm -hmm. what really makes me happy. You know, you're not happy with me. 
And um, it takes it takes courage to stay in there and and you know fight the good fight there. So that's something that we've been um, you know really doing this this past year. And if I can even order it to your audience, you know, we look back and think of you know what we brought into our marriage. And even the idea of discerning marriage was not even in our vocabulary, much less, you know, in our, in our faith maturity. But if we, if we had that in our, we would be adding this to it. We would be saying, you know, courage is not just something that shows up with marriage. Obviously it's a human virtue, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and also this is a, there's a supernatural part of it too, that God gives us a stout heart, right. And gives us mm. the ability to, to stand strong. So these things are, it's a, a defect, a weakness, a lack of, you know, human formation or faith formation that shows up in marriage. It's not that it's just called there. Mm. And I would put that in, in, the, in the top list of things even before I met Melanie or, you know, once I met her and even the idea of getting married at some point, because I, you know, I've fantasized about marriage since I was a teenager and <laughs> beautiful wife and two kids and, you know, the <laughs> things a 13 year old dreams of, right? So but courage shows up in so many ways. And um, like most of the virtues, marriage is the place where the human strength and that firm habitual disposition to do the good uh, gets tested. Mm. So you were talking about a stout heart just now, and that is obviously, it's a virtue that we can tap into with grace and the Lord gives us the grace to do it. But there's also a lot of human formation that goes into becoming, maybe, maybe you're not like a a naturally stout-hearted person, but that doesn't mean that you can't cultivate that right in yourself. Um, so if you could speak into a little bit how to do that, what, what to be doing, if that, if you know that that's something that you want, which I think we can all appreciate that that's something necessary in marriage. Mm-hmm. And you're very much selling us on the reality that we need to be going into marriage with courage for all sorts of things. Um, so how can you cultivate that one? And the second question is how, what do you look for when you're looking for a spouse or you're discerning marriage with someone that would indicate that they have this quality, that they will be mm, current, courageous. Mm, mm. You know, when you asked that just now, I, um, I was thinking actually of you, Melanie, I was thinking about the homeschool and one of the, the many rituals Melanie has in homeschooling is, um, uh, you know, doing something difficult. You know, when, mm. when you're doing something difficult, it's so it's, you're coming right to the, to the point of where, you know, you f- fight, flight, or what is it? Freeze. Fight, flight, freeze, right? Cry. Yeah, cry. Oh, cry. I cry. There for the kids homeschool. Right? That's a bit of a thing. But, you know, that it is a, a stress, a strain. It is a force. It is a pressure. It is a decision point, you know, when you're, when you're facing adversity. And in that sense, they, they, it can be as simple as, you know, what do you do when you, when you confront adversity? This is one of the things I'm big on, on sports. I was very much mm. an athlete growing up. And much of my human formation was around sports. Mm. And it wasn't so much the glory of the game and, and, you know, showing up and doing that. It was the grueling practices. Mm. It was the day after day, the double sessions sometimes in football and other basketball and not wanting to be there and just wondering, okay, I'm doing the same thing over and over again. Is this going to mean anything later? And that formation that happens with doing difficult things. Mm-hmm. And that the, the, the next level of that is doing difficult things for the good of another, for love, mm. right? For willing the good yes. of another. And that, that's kind of advanced. But in the beginning, I think human, it's about, you know, when I'm faced with an adversity, something difficult, you know, what do I do? Do I fold? Do I freeze? Do I, do I lean into it? And do I do 1% more, 10% more, you know, two more reps? 
Um, you know what? I don't want to finish a book. I got an assignment at school. Ooh, nice. Try to learn an instrument when you're trying mm-hmm. to do well at work. You know, not only just spending more time at work, but you know, being more focused in in ordering your work. So there's, there's I think in a human sense, we're, we're flooded with opportunities for growing the human virtue of persevering mm-hmm. in adversity. And then when it comes to relationships, in many ways, it steps it up. And this is why the family, again, is, I know we're in concepts, we'll get practical in a minute, but conceptually, when you're part of a family, you are forced from the moment of your birth to find your identity through the relationships and the purpose of your family. That's this, you mm. don't ask for that every family, whether you're single mom, whether you're, you know, separated, married, you, you know, whatever. The family is this place where it's this matrix of relationships. And you're forced now to learn what it is to, to, to live and to love in the presence of another person. So that's where the virtues come in. So by the time you're ready for a, a friendship, for a romantic relationship, for a boyfriend, a girlfriend, the, the, the truth is you're, it's meant to be in a further extension of that human formation. And mm. by the time you're married, you have made a promise that this is your life's vocation, your calling, your state of life to help each other get to heaven that I am yours and you are mine, that the wedding vows really should be the beginning of, of the real wake up of courage. Mm. Uh, those wedding vows, if, you, if you're paying attention, you're like, ah, I don't know if, uh, <laughs> if, if you're like, I got this, this is us, we're gonna do that. You didn't, you're not listening. Yeah, you're not you're reading just, closely enough. <laughs> you're not Look at them again. Right. That's so a lot of you. How do you navigate that? How do you navigate that? Um, because the, the, you know, in your discerning marriage, you can't discern all the difficulty. What you're discerning is the capacity and the will. Mm-hmm. Oh, to, to I'm persevere. so glad you said that. I'm right? so glad you said that. It's, it's not like we're going to get through everything. It's like, no, 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 the Lord and I, we will, we will get through this. You know, it used to be richer for poorer sick, sickness and health, uh, good times, bad. It's meant to be this, this range of whatever happens, I am yours and you are mine. Not by our power, but by God's power. So that that vow is not just romantic, it's not just poetic. It really is the beginning of the acknowledgement that what we're entering into, we don't have the power to do on our own. On our own. Mm. We don't have the power to it. So I think the, the practical pieces are looking and really leaning into whatever's difficult in your life now. Not to be, you know, self-flagellant, like I'm gonna suffer just so I can grow. I mean, that is an extreme to everything. But I think looking at the real, natural, and ordinary challenges in our lives and looking at them as opportunities for human and spiritual formation that I can do one more thing than I thought I could. Mm. Yeah. Our, our daughters are, um, one of, one is married and three are of dating age. And this is, I mean, we, we tell our daughters, you know, the, the boy, man, you're dating, um, you know, how does he respond in, in hard situations? Um, you know, is he, is he a good worker? Is he, you know, does he just quit when things get hard? And, you know, we can't tell them what to do, but we can ask these questions of them so that they can, they can start to think like, is he going to be a good spouse? Can he be a, you know, a good husband one day? And, um, but yeah, it's looking at, you know, anger. How do they handle anger? How do they handle disappointment? How do they handle, you know, just all those emotions? And, um, you know, that, that's very important. And just, you know, having a, a firm foundation in faith. Yeah. Absolutely. Another word that just came to me as, as we were talking about this is um, um, not so much addictions as it mm-hmm. is uh, coping mechanisms, right? So nice. all of us have stress, yes. all of us have something, and mm-hmm. you, you speak more eloquently to this mm-hmm. from the medical side, from the therapeutic side rather, but 
you know, what do we lean on when we're mad, we're sad, we're lonely, yes. we're tired, yes. we're bored, um, we're hurt. Yes. And again, it's not to be condemning at that point. It's not, it's not judgmental as much as it is observing. Who am I? Mm-hmm. This is that becoming. And this is what we're asking our kids. And I'm, I'm more direct. I try to be at least, you know, early on. I'm like, look, oh, don't bring home any projects. I don't want any guys coming home as a project. You know, don't be afraid to, you know, uh, you, you know, stuff to at least plant the seed that, you know, there's you, you, you should be experiencing together something and not simply be the font of, of, of all good and true and beautiful. Because, I mean, I was complete. I was so less mature than Melanie when I met her. I mean, I, I put a good front mm. on. I can, you know, I can, but there's just maturity you can't fake. You, mm. you, you can't pretend mm. that because mm. it shows up in exactly this adversity, stress, yes. disappointment, hurt, anger. And what do we cope to? You know, is, do we jump on the Xbox? Do we start eating our mm-hmm. favorite food? Do I mm-hmm. go to sleep mm-hmm. and just, just sleep longer? Do I go to the movies? Do I lose my, and that was, you know, mine was movies. I would just, when stuff would get hard, I would just, I'd get into a movie. I don't care what it was. Um, and those things aren't necessarily bad. Xbox isn't bad, but if it's a, if it's a crutch, if it's keeping you from that perseverance and that in, in, in uh, or dealing with the issue or whatever the, yes. the issue is, numbing you to the pain or, or letting you kind of di- choose a clinical term, like dissociate from it. Like yes. you're not feeling the pain anymore. You're using something else to substitute yes. it. This is so good guys. <laughs> um, I love it. Okay. So. I have two more questions for you um, because I'm watching the clock. So the first one is, so you mentioned early on when we were talking about how you would have oriented your marriage differently if you could go back. So I know that you are, you have some of your children are in the target audience of who we're talking to. So if you would (laughs) be willing to kind of share some of this knowledge, I'm sure you're imparting to them, but to all of our listeners about how do you orient your marriage around that? Right. You have, you have all these decades of experience and what you um, maybe would have done differently. Had you, if you had this knowledge now 30 years ago, but all of these people who are listening can absolutely benefit from all of this wisdom and experience y'all have gained. So how do you orient your marriage from the start? Like as these people are considering getting into marriage and preparing to get into marriage, what do they do? Yeah, I think the, um, the first gift really, if I'm going to roll way back, um, is, is having the right vocabulary is, is having the right words mm. to describe what we're doing. It needs to be clear because we have different life experience and different family of origin, different relationship experience, different faith levels. So, you know, who is God, that kind of thing. So our identity we need to recognize is, is already wounded. And uh, no matter where we are, when we're, we're married, we, we're not sh- really sure about who we are who I am as a man, who you are as a woman. And then yet we're making this, this gift of our broken self one to the other. I am yours and you're mm-hmm. mine. And I think that preparation for that and the living of it is about orienting ourselves to uh, the truth of marriage, that it is not just, you know, the, the end goal of uh, passionate romantic love. Mm. It's not the reward for X years of dating. It's not the, the inevitability of a good relationship, you know, mm-hmm. romantic. There's something wholly unique about, as Catholics, I'm speaking here as Catholics, uh, pledging ourselves one to the other at an altar to God. Uh, and it, it ties everything from our own baptism all the way through our death and eternal life. So there's a gravitas to it. There's a, there's a gravity to it. But there's also something that, it, it, that gravitas means nothing if it's not uh, infused with our own human brokenness it's it's, mm-hmm. it's everything that we are it's the mess 
And, and that sort of vocabulary is about recognizing that the good, bad, and the ugly of who we are is all the stuff that God works with and what we bring and give to one another. So it's not about uh, being good enough. It's not about working harder necessarily. It's not about gaining intellectual knowledge or sexual knowledge or you know anything on that sense alone. It's about ordering toward the real good of helping each other get to heaven. Hmm. So there's a posture that's different. The posture is different of receiving in order to be able to give, um, to give in order to be able to receive. And all this courage with even the work we did in those last year, the 27, 8, 20th years of marriage, is, is was last year was was one where it was ordered toward that. It wasn't just being healthy. It wasn't mm-hmm. just being, you know, happier, you know, aesthetically. It was very much, you know, we're, we, we have much work to do mm-hmm. if we're going to be anywhere near the vows that we love and that we want to live and that we've been skating over. Um, mm. Yeah, I think one of the things that I definitely would have done um, earlier in the beginning is, is just, you know, getting help, getting therapy, yeah. mm. facing, facing those areas that I didn't want to deal with, you know, facing the brokenness. And, um, and in that knowing that, um, you know, my goal in marriage is, is to be there for someone else and not to just get from someone, mm. you know, I'm mean, we missing piece. Yeah. When we were yes. first married, I mean, I just thought Damon was going to fulfill all of those holes that I had in my life. And that caused, you know, a lot of a lot of problems because you know he's human and he couldn't do that and it was unfair of me to put those expectations on him so um i would say you know getting help getting that that therapy that i i needed then and then also knowing that um um like you said you know marriage is is being there for each other and it's not just a taking um you know god is really is really the the, the healer and the the forgiver and he's the one that that we get our identity from and not you know not each other That is such great advice. I love that so much. Thank you. All right. So last question, what is one practical thing related to this topic, the courage to be married that someone who's listening could, you know, in this podcast and moving on in their day implement later, you know, today or tomorrow, um, that would move them along this path of discerning marriage. Yeah. It, it, um, I remember Christopher always talks about, you know, there's head work, there's homework and there's heart work. (laughs) And a lot of it, I think, is is the open areas, the heart work. And um, even some of the things we're talking about in terms of the therapy and help, there's only particular places where you can actually get that. And I think a very practical thing for for people to do would be to to start in, you know, kind of an inventory of relationships, uh, present and past. And not in a judgmental way, not in a, in a, you know, mea culpa, mea culpa, mea maxima culpa, you know, but looking for my mom, my dad, my siblings, my, you know, my friends, my, my romantic relationships, what's, what's been sort of patterns. What are some things that that I remember from this? Uh, What are the things that, that, you know, good, bad, and ugly and, and start to get an idea. I guess the purpose here is to, is to get the things that they call like um, love language, right. Or attachment style or, um, you know, temperament fears, even something might conjure up ideas that are experiences that have, have become not just ideas, but beliefs Mm. and to get to, and Dr. Bob Schutz is is huge on this. And I think Jake Kim is another, just as these, they speak so eloquently on this is how quickly experiences good and bad become set beliefs, Mm -hmm. which then become vows that we make. Mm -hmm. And we don't see this happening. It happens so quickly. And a lot of the unwinding, a lot of the healing that Melanie's talking about happens 
when we finally are able to see, well, I thought everybody believed this. Well, of mm-hmm. course, that's what that means. And that, you're like, well, that's not what I think. Well, I don't think you're telling the truth because everybody knows <laughs> that this is the perfect. I mean, yeah. they're so set in, you know, whether the front of the brain or the limbic yep. or the, wherever it's in us yep. that um, doing that work earlier is not just about getting answers. And I'll end here. It's about being, being familiar with the process. Mm. Of being able to be able to, to poke and prod our own hearts and to, to look in, and to get help and to ask questions of trusted people to say, do I do this? Is this what it is? Do you believe this too? I do. Because that really is, I think, is the practical exercise within marriage that now you pick mm. this particular other to probe the depths of the heart, you know, as, as the Proverbs and Psalm says. Uh, but to do that takes, again, a lot of courage. Yeah, no, I love that. I, I, I agree with that you know, 100% looking at uh, past. Um, relationships and past behaviors. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I love um, Dr. Bob Shute's book, Be Healed. <laughs> mm-hmm. and, I will link that um, in the show notes, y'all. I love Dr. Yeah, Bob Yeah, I would <laughs> definitely recommend, you know, reading that because that would help to, um, you know, just root out those um, those false beliefs that you might have. Awesome. Y'all, thank you so much. I, it is an honor to sit at your feet and learn all of these things that you guys have, you know, both intellectually and experientially gleaned, um, over the course of your career and your marriage. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank I'm you for so grateful. Yeah, thank you for having us on. All right. And thank all of you for listening and until next time, stay close to the heart of Jesus and be not afraid. The Discerning Marriage Podcast is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute. For more information about discerning marriage, visit discerningmarriage.com. To learn more about the Theology of the Body, visit tobinstitute.org.